Thank you for joining the Georgia Chamber podcast. For 105 years, we have been the leading voice of business in the state of Georgia. Through these podcasts, we want to help you better understand the issues facing our state and how your business can grow and prosper. Thanks for joining us. To learn more, go to www.gachamber.com. Well, good morning. I'm Chris Clark, President and CEO of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce. I want to thank you for joining us for our weekly Resiliency and Recovery Roundtable. Uh, we've been bringing you these since April of this year, and hopefully they bring you some insights uh, and help your business recover, but also keep you updated on what's happening around the rest of the state of Georgia. Uh, I want to remind you that Governor Kemp has issued a new executive order this past Saturday. You can read the details of that at gachamber.com slash COVID-19. Uh, I also want to encourage you to register for our upcoming Washington, D.C. virtual fly-in uh, at the end of September. We're uh, already secured guests to talk about everything from recovery and resiliency to what's happening with our ongoing discussions with China and how that impacts the state of Georgia. So we're excited to, to put that program together for you and hope that you'll join us for that soon. You know, we've been having these, and I think one of the, the biggest demands we've had is to talk about the most important issue in Georgia, which is not recovery, not resiliency, but what the impact of that is to college football uh, and to sports and athletics, that one thing that brings us all together. So today we've got a great panel for you. We have Jared Binko, who's our new uh, director of athletics at Georgia Southern University. We've got Jim Cole, director of athletics at Mercer, Greg McGarity, uh, our DA at University of Georgia, and Mark Roundtree, who's the deputy director at Georgia Tech. I just want to say I appreciate all you guys taking the time. I've got I've, I've spent time on all of your campuses in my career. I got an undergrad at Georgia Southern. I went to Mercer for a little while. I've got professional certifications at Georgia and at Georgia Tech. So I, I feel the love this morning. I'm personally vested in every football program that you've got out there, as I know all of our friends are that are joining us from around the state. So I want to jump right into this. We want to talk about the general state of the college athletics from your uh, divisions as we go into the fall, how we're keeping uh, our kids, our children safe, our student athletes, how we're protecting them, fans as well, uh, and, and hopefully have some lessons that the business community can learn as well as we move into a very different environment than anything we've ever dealt with before. So uh, we'll kick it off this morning and I'm just kind of looking at you guys on the screen. So that's the direction I'm going to go. And so, Greg, uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about where the SEC is and what, what can we expect from all of our athletics this fall? Well, thanks, Chris. And it's great to be with everyone. And I uh, hope everybody's doing as well as they possibly can be. Uh, we started classes today at, on our campus. So it's a big day for us to have our students back on campus since uh, they were last back on campus in March. But from an athletic standpoint, the Southeastern Conference, we made decisions along the way. You know, we announced our 10-game uh, schedule. Uh, we announced certain protocols that were going to be in play. We announced the dates. And then yesterday, we announced the, uh, the tickets and the information, the stadium capacity. So there have been several markers um, leading up to the decision yesterday to, to make our announcement. But, you know, our focus has really been on the safety of our student-athletes. Uh, I think all of us on this call are going to spend enormous amounts of money on testing, tracing, hygiene products, uh, you name it. We're all all over that right now. So we've got so many people to be concerned about. We've got our 550 student athletes, uh, 
300 full-time staff members. We've got uh, the 25%, 20 to 25% of fans that right now are attending, will be attending our football games. So a lot of things to be concerned about, but I think most of all, we have to be able to pivot at a moment's notice. Uh, So much information comes at us that uh, we didn't anticipate. So, you know, we have to pivot to maybe having no fans uh, in the stadium. We have to pivot to certain decisions I know that universities have to make, like that have been made at uh, Notre Dame and North Carolina recently. And so I think it's one of these things that you can only say, this is where we are today. This is where we are on August 20th. And we're certainly hopeful that we can get to the start of the season uh, as the SEC has pushed back the start till uh, the latter latter part of September. We don't really have a foot, home football game till October 3rd. So a lot of things that, that we're all dealing with. And uh, I know that the, the others on this call and the leaders, um, you know, regardless of what division you play or how many people you have in your stadium, we're all concerned about the same things. And I think uh, in athletics, it's been made very clear that our first priority is our student athletes and our staff and those that will be on our campuses this fall. So uh, a lot of great things going on, but we have to really maintain a positive attitude uh, because there's so much uh, despair and negativity out there that you know, if we took that attitude, uh, I think it would certainly permeate down to our student athletes. And we're trying to lift them up because their world has kind of been shattered so far from an athletic standpoint. But uh, I'll just close in saying that uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for my peers in the business and what they're doing now because uh, it's, it's kind of hard to deal with, but they're, we all feel like there'll be light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you, Greg. J- Jared, tell us about uh, Southern and, uh, and our conference down there. No, definitely, yeah. Well, one, I appreciate Chris' opportunity to be here today and have a ton of respect for Greg and, and Todd and Jim, as, excuse me, uh, Mark and, and Jim as well, and had a chance to work with Greg in Athens and, uh, again, learned a lot from him and really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Uh, you know, really the Sun Belt right now, we've kept the status quo. It's been eight conference games and four non-conference. Uh, not all the members of the, the Sun Belt are going to play 12 games. We're going to stick at 11 right now is where I'm at. We're going to keep that first weekend open. We feel like that gives us flexibility between, you know, we, we could use another work, quite honestly, of prep and just kind of getting the, the game plans in and getting conditioned. Uh, and two, is, is a look at the schedule as well. You know, that gives us an extra week potentially with testing, anything we run into, uh, related to, to, to quarantining our student athletes. So we feel like that gives us a good a good starting place. Um, you know, we were able to pick up Army uh, where Ole Miss dropped us on the 21st. We picked up Army, really excited about that game. But just a storyline there with Coach Munkin and going up to Army as well. So, um, but yeah, right now, I mean, some, some Sunbelt schools have 12. I know some have struggled to, to get over 10. So there's going to be different numbers of games played this year in, in football. And we're, we're all trying our best to make sure we, we you know, obviously position our student athletes for, for a great season. And really, Greg hit the nail on the head. We spend most of our time, not only on Zoom, but, but talking about student athlete safety and, and health protocols. And, you know, Commissioner Gill with the Sun Belt's done a great job of just trying to keep us on track with everything from testing. And as Greg mentioned, I mean, we spend an enormous amount of time on testing. And what does that look like? And, and it, it's, it's very complex because just like Greg mentioned as well, we have 400 student athletes. And so when you start looking at the testing and baselines and recurring testing of student athletes. That's a lot of work, a lot of logistics that go into it. So we make sure that those testing apparatuses are in place and, and being a efficiently run. And, and two, beyond that, everything from player safety on the field to, you know, trying to create a bubble effect. And 
you know, I'm sure all the people on the call would, would share the same sentiment. I feel the best about our student athletes when they're in our facilities. You know, each month and each day that goes along, we learn more and more about trying to keep our student athletes safe. And so I feel really good about them being in our facilities and really what we can do to support them and make sure that their safety and health remains a priority. So, you know, each, each day and each month, we're learning more and more. Uh, I think you'll continue to see advances in the testing uh, methodologies that come out and different advances there. And, you know, how Greg mentioned pivoting. That's, that's huge. I mean, we've got to continue to pivot on the testing front as well. And, and luckily, again, Mark and Greg took the head yesterday as far as putting out their attendance piece capacity-wise. And so I'm going to come – we're going to come in behind them probably early next week and really looking at what we're trying to do and really, um, you know, we'll, we'll be – you know, we'll be similar to them. Maybe you know, we're still kind of trying to some, put some finishing touches on where we're going to be at. But I, um, uh, we're, we're going to do our best with the six home games this year to make sure we give everybody a great opportunity to come in and support the Eagles, but also keep them safe and, and healthy as well. So um, that's pretty much about it from the from the Sun Belt. The last thing I would share too is right now we're still going forward with other fall sports as well with volleyball and, and soccer. We have men's soccer down here as well in cross country. So. For now, it's all the status quo, but as Greg mentioned, it could pivot and, and change on a day. So. Got it. Thanks, Jared. Mark, tell us tell us where we are at Georgia Tech. Hey, got to unmute you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> similar to uh, my colleagues, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to speak here with the Chamber today. Uh, Chris, thanks for the opportunity. I mean, we're in intercollegiate athletics, and it's about energy. It's about passion. Um, it's about competition. Um, but uh, first and foremost, it's about education and development of young men and women. So anytime we get the opportunity to speak, you know, we're really excited about it, about I mean, our student athletes and what they're doing on a daily basis. And we're really proud of them. I think similar to what others have said on the call, I mean, our student athletes are doing a great job of following all the protocols that we have in place for their health and safety. But, you know, our journey to the fall actually started back in March, similar to probably other people on the call. You know, um, when things started to, uh, spring sports started to be canceled, you know, Todd, uh, the athletic director, Todd Stansberry, he pulled us into the, the executive conference room. He wrote three things on the board. He said, our first priority is going to be the health and safety of our student athletes and our staff. That's our number one priority. The second thing is, is that, hey, we're right in the middle of the spring term, um, students are, we have to make sure that they're going to be able to have the support they need to continue to develop academically. So what academic support can we, can we provide, making sure they continue to get the progress towards that degree. And then last but not least, um, number three was, hey, we need to make sure we're starting planning so we can be ready to go when we all get the opportunity for competitive operations. And so those three things are actually still written on our board uh, in our executive conference room. And we've been working off those priorities ever since March. Um, from that, you know, we established a couple of, of task forces to really look at, you know, pulling, the, pulling all the assets of the Institute, faculty members, we were able to pull community members as well, looking at two really priority topics. Um, one being, how can we bring our student athletes back, all the things that have been said uh, previously, testing, operations, how do we bring them back, put them in a safe environment to be able to train and compete? And then the second thing, our second task force, again, utilizing faculty here at Tech, utilizing community members, how do we able to operate um, our venues uh, in a safe way for fans looking at many different scenarios and, and put a lot of work in over the summer, a ton of work, as I'm sure everybody has done, to be able to live up to those goals. And 
right now the ACC, we're moving forward uh, with football similar to the SEC. We're playing a schedule of 10 conference games plus one non-conference game. For Georgia Tech, that'll be the University of Central Florida. And um, so we're moving forward. Um, we're following all the advice. The ACC, similar to the other conferences, have put together a medical advisory group. A lot of uh, chief medical officers of the institution and pulling together other physicians from, from medical schools in the ACC, you know, put together really solid protocols for student athletes to follow, um, and which involves testing of our student athletes, especially those in their competitive season. So real, we feel really good about the progress that that medical advisory group has made and, and advising us on doing what's best and providing for the health and safety of our student athletes. And then moving forward, we, we similar to, 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 to Greg, we have uh, released a schedule. Yesterday, we followed up on our uh, stadium operations and our ticket capacity operations. You know, Bobby Dodd operated about 20% capacity. We feel like the layout of the stadium will allow for social distancing and and if folks can come and enjoy college football in a good environment, we'll, we'll require masks in our stadium. Um, we are going to allow tailgating based on the limited capacity that we have uh, in the stadium, but, but also we have access to all the lots. So we really feel like we can offer tailgating and fans can, and families can enjoy that in their individual spaces. Um, and also similar to, to Jared, we also have our other sports here competing, but you know, we feel really good about it because our student athletes, they, they've taken ownership of it. They've taken ownership of, we're gonna hold each other accountable. We're gonna do the right things to give ourselves an opportunity to be able to play. Similar to what's been said, that could, that could change uh, given uh, conditions and health, and, but from public health officials, that all could change and we need to be able to pivot. But I'm just really proud of the accomplishment of our, our, of our student athletes and what they've done so far to give themselves this opportunity. And that goes for our coaches as well, providing that guidance on that daily basis because they're on the front lines every day. And I know Coach Collins uh, from Georgia Tech and our other coaches have done a great job of working with our student athletes and putting them in position to be able to play this fall. And, and we're looking forward to it. I think we're all looking forward to being able to get to that point where we've got people back in the stands and our student athletes competing because that's what they want. We've heard that loud and clear, I know, from our, from our student athletes. They just want the opportunity to get out and compete. So. Thanks, Chris. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Mark. Well, let's let's head down 75 to Mercer University. Jim Cole, our old friend down there. Jim, tell us about what what the world is like for Mercer athletics right now. A little little different than what we've heard so far, but tell us the news. Well, Chris, thank you uh, for having us and listening to to you and everybody at the chamber. I I know how what an important organization that is to Georgia, and we're talking about probably going to talk about economics today. And boy keep doing the great work because Georgia's got to keep moving forward. Uh, we're a little different. Uh, you know, I, everything I'm probably going to say is you're going to hear quite different what I say from my other three colleagues. And listen, there's no bigger fan of Georgia Southern, Georgia, and Tech right now than, than myself and Mercer because we're in kind of a hybrid model right now, and, and we're really looking to them to, to get things going. But we were a little unusual. We're, we're a private institution, so when things started – uh, shutting down due to COVID back in March. Mercer never, uh, we went to online classes, but we did not close the campus. Uh, all, you know, my entire athletic staff was here from March 12th on, and they kind of owned it. They, we started doing public work projects, painting, pressure washing. We were scrubbing bubble gum off the bottom of seats in the basketball arena just to try to stay in the game and stay in the fight. 
I was very lucky that we have a medical school. And if, if I had an All-American punter, he could probably put a punt on the medical school from the football field. So they came up with a testing plan quick and we're one of the few universities that acquired the equipment from the FDA. So we've been able to test all the way since April. And uh, so I brought my football players plus a lot of other athletes back in June. We started following the NCA return to socialization guides, uh, what they had recommended at the time at, at that point. So we have been doing testing weekly since June. So I'm very lucky there. Uh, I know a lot of my colleagues in the Southern Conference don't have that. Uh, so safety is first and foremost, uh, and we will never compromise on that. Now with the Southern Conference, last week we voted to move to the spring. Uh, I don't ever hide behind my vote, you know, back from my legislative days. I was not in support of moving to the spring. I was very adamant about that. I was just as Greg said, you know, I wanted to watch every day to, to gather as much information as possible. You know, I had proposed moving the season to mid-October. Uh, I just want to continue to stay in the fight because uh, I talk to these young men and young ladies every day. I mean, I, I don't think I've had this many meetings since, you know, caucus days with Governor Purdue, but they are overwhelmingly in support of competing as long as it's safe. So. I've got to do everything I can to let them have that avenue. So right now, the posture we're in is I'm trying to find games uh, for my soccer, volleyball, cross country, and foot football. The Southern Conference allowed the option for you to compete into fall as long as it did not go over your maximum amount of games that the NCAA would allow. So I signed a contract yesterday with one of the military academies uh, to play in October. Uh, so I'm, we're looking forward to that. Our young men are excited. I'm putting together a soccer schedule. As soon as this call's over, I'll go back and get on the phone. So we intend to play uh, starting sometime in October. So right now our athletes are just, they're all outside. We're not letting them in, inside any of the facilities. They're lifting weights on the football field, probably as you can see behind me now. So that's kind of where we are. We're, uh, but we're going we're gonna to stay in this fight to play in the fall as long as our student athletes voice that opinion to us and that we know it's safe for them. So that's kind of the state of the Mercer program right now. Jim, I'm curious though, if you play three games or so in the fall and then you keep bringing the kids back to play in the spring, are all the Southern Conference schools gonna do the same thing or could you end up playing more games in the spring than, or have more games played through the year than other schools are playing just in the spring? What, how does that, what does that look like? Well, right now, uh, the only schools in the Southern Conference that are proceeding forward are Citadel and Mercer. Okay. Uh, the other schools have decided to to, to defer to the spring. I'll be very upfront with you. I, you know, I, I don't think COVID is gonna disappear anytime soon. Uh, I still think the issues that we're dealing with right now will still be present in the spring. I've, I've been very adamant about that. So um, that's the reason I'm choosing to go forward in the fall is because I, A, I'm comfortable with our safety precautions. A, the, and B, the kids wanna play. Uh, so we're gonna proceed forward with that model. Now, once we get to the spring, yes. Uh, you know, I've been very upfront that I don't know about playing in the spring and then turn around playing in the fall. Uh, to me, that's very dangerous, uh, especially uh, for football. So uh, I'm working through this hour by hour. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's stressful, but it's what, what I get paid to do. So uh, but that's, that's, that's where we stand. 
Well, and I, I'd say you're dealing with it hour by hour, just like every business person in Georgia is doing as well. Um, I want to switch over and, and ask Mark and Greg to comment. You both talked about, or Mark, you said you were going to allow tailgating. And so my phone is blowing up here for everybody to ask Greg if he's going to allow tailgating too. But the, the, the bigger question, I'm curious if you both of you guys limit the number of fans in the stands. So one, I'd like to know kind of what's the protocols, you know, where you take temperatures, you have to wear masks. And then second, how do you break down that limited number of attendees to students who are going to school there who want to go watch their friends play football versus all your alumni that want to come back for the weekend? So, Greg, I'll start with you, kind of let you give, and then uh, Mark will go to you. Right. Well, we decided to keep our percentages consistent across the board into where uh, essentially 20% of the season ticket holders would, would be accommodated, 20% of the student ticket allocation to stadiums on down, faculty, staff. So we were, we just really applied the math to keep that as consistent as we could. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. You know, people are able to opt in or opt out uh, and without, without losing a dime, essentially. We have everything set up to where nobody's gonna be out any money. So we can work several options there. You know, regarding tailgating, our first game's not till October the 3rd. So we felt like that we just didn't have to make a decision right now. Uh, we're also seeing what some of our peers are doing. And, you know, with tech tailgating, I'm sure that'll be a topic of discussion uh, on our campus. Uh, but we're just, you know, our campus is, is very large. There's a good bit of green space. And obviously we can't control what's off, what's, which is what is off campus. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of tailgating going in that direction. But you know, we just uh, don't have to make the decision right now. So we feel like that, you know, two or three weeks before the first game, we'll let our fans know. But, you know, there's always going to be concern on campus about large gatherings. And, you know, we just want to be sure we're following the CDC guidelines and what guidelines that may be in place uh, in state uh, before making that decision. So, uh, you know, we just don't have to make that decision right now. But I know it'll be a uh, a decision that everybody will be awaiting waiting upon. So uh, we'll just we'll just table that for now. Got it. Well, and just like Jim, you're dealing with things hour to hour, day to day, and it keeps changing. Uh, Mark, tell us a little bit about the breakdown of, of your students versus alumni versus faculty going to the to the games. Yeah, I mean, similar to uh, what what Greg is doing at Georgia, we will be doing the same. We kind of took that our 20% capacity and just broke that down amongst our, our ticket blocks. So we have pretty much everybody will be reduced to that 20% number. So students, um, they'll have their 20% block, uh, our, our season ticket holders will have their 20% their block. And, and then we will, we will based on your points uh, for your donation level, you'll get to choose your seats because they're basically broken down in little clusters, socially distanced clusters of, of groups of two, four, six. There may be a few eights in there in our stadium, but we, we all broke the stadium down in clusters and then folks can go on and choose this ticket location. Um, and then student, the students will be socially distanced as well in the student section. So, you know, taking that down from roughly about 8,000 student tickets to, you know, 2,000 student tickets roughly. And these are approximate numbers. Um, and then we'll work with our, our student government associations. We're in discussions with them about what they want to see from that process and how they want to interact with us on a game by game basis. So we're, 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 in, we're in discussions with those guys as well to make sure we're meeting their needs for, for our students who will be able to attend the games. And, and as far as safety protocols, you know, 
uh, we've been working and we follow, I mean, USG guidance and, and the governor's task force as well, you know, in the requirement of masks in our, our venues. Um, and we, we will not be checking temperatures um, as folks come into stands, but we will have COVID-19 stations outside and inside our stadium for fans to, to come that if, if they have concerns. So we really feel good about the safety protocols we have in place for, for to operate our, our game day environment. So, um, but it's, it's been in concert with, um, with the health professionals, public health, Georgia Department of Public Health and USG. But we took the different approach with tailgating, I guess you'd say, based on our lots and our capacity. But we could be in the opposite situation that where we're having to pull back on tailgating if conditions on the ground dictate. So I think we're probably in the same situation as, as, as our colleagues, but we just went ahead and put that first and knowing that we may have to go over the other direction with tailgating. Mark, what about, you've got a lot of businesses that support Georgia Tech and, and the, all these football programs. A lot of them have boxes. You have alumni with boxes. What happens there? You limit, you get to keep your box, but you're limited to the number of people in it. How are you handling it? Those yeah, guys. with with our suites and our premium areas, the group premium areas, they'll they'll be reduced twenty percent to that area. So our club area, it'll there'll be twenty percent of the club tickets in that area. Um, for suites, we have limited the the seating in suites to the ticketed seats, and we will offer those ticketed seats to the individual suite holders. So we, we're basically going to allow them to treat that like it's their one of their living rooms. So they'll have their tickets, but they can control how many people they would like in their suite whether that's, you know, two or would they want to use the full capacity of the suite at 15. But we've eliminated any standing room only tickets and things like that, but we've only pursuing that with, with uh, the ticketed seats for each of our suites. Got it. Thank you. Jared, I, I was going to put you on the spot about the beer garden at Georgia Southern uh, in the stadium, but I'm not going to do that right now. Yeah. And so I want to sh shift gears a little bit. And I think one of the things that a lot of folks don't realize are the wraparound services the academic support that our schools and athletic departments actually give to those student athletes. Yeah. And I'm just curious, how are you helping those student athletes now with those wraparound service and academic services when you've got, you know, hybrid models, when you've got kids working virtually, it's got to just change your whole model of operations from the academic standpoint. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure just like the, the three panels as well, we were blessed. We have a great uh, academic staff as well. And really, if you go back to, you know, when COVID first hit, we had to pivot and move to online instruction. There was two weeks to, to go from in-person to online instruction. And so our faculty did a great job as well as our student athletes on top of our academic staff. And so, you know, the virtual component piece was really important to kind of get us through the spring. And, and again, credit to our student athletes, we ended up with a record, a GPA for the spring and end up with a record GPA for last academic year. So that's a credit to our student athletes at 3.08 for the year, but also our academic staff as well. So I think the the whole the whole infrastructure piece now is not going to be your traditional block and tack when you go to a building, you set up your appointment. Now we're doing a lot of virtual uh, appointments as well as trying to make sure we're very stringent on who comes in the academic center and when they come in there. So we're having to be a lot more premeditated of what we're doing and academics and the delivery method by which we're, we're giving as well. So, um, you know, and it's even stuff like our student athlete development. We have our Eagles and transition program. I know each of us have student athlete development programs and, you know, those are looking different as well. So we have to continue to find ways to enhance our student athlete experience, help their maturation as they matriculate to the university, but also to find different delivery methods because, you know, the in-person piece is just not always an option now. 
and so we're having to be creative. And the two things I've talked about since I've gotten here were, was really embracing our, our history, but also being innovative in everything we do. And the innovation, again, right now, is really to delivery me uh, methodology, but also content by which we're delivering it. So, um, yeah, it's changing, and, and it changes by the day. But, again, Zoom's been all of our friends for a while, and we'll continue, as Jim mentioned, probably will be uh, active on Zoom into the spring as well. So, um, but, no, it's, it's changed a lot, but I will give credit to our staff and student-athletes for adjusting. Jim, I want to go to you. I think several people mentioned here the, the leadership of student athletes. And I know I was talking to one university president last week whose kids were coming back on campus and he had 200 of them lined up outside of a bar with no mask on. He says, I can only do so much with these kids. But we've seen great examples around the country of student athletes saying, hey, you know, do the right thing. Tell me a little bit about how your student athletes have shown leadership and what they're doing on campus right now. Well, you know, Chris, uh, it, it started back in the summer. You know, we were, uh, I know this might shock people, we, we had in-person summer classes. Uh, so we started in-person in June uh, with classes on campus. So we had to start back with our student athletes uh, in June saying, listen, you've got to be the, uh, you know, the example. Because at the time, there was not a, uh, our president had not issued a, uh, a, a standard mask order and it, uh, so we were in the infancy stages of that, but we made our athletes. So they kind of set the standard, you know, from the start and it never ends. Uh, you know, I've got a, a 11th grade son. He left the house this morning at 5.30 to, to, for football practice. And I, I snuck out and put a little note on his uh, speedometer. And I said, I need you to wear your mask. I said, cause I'm asking my student athletes. And I said, you've got to help me be an example. So from my wife to everybody, we just we just hammer it every day of doing the right thing, and I and I and I'll be the first to tell you we we have coaches on patrol at, until odd hours of the night watching dorms. We just have to do that, and we're willing to do that. We phone call, we Zoom, and uh, you know it's just it's it's kind of like politics. You just got to hammer it every day, you know, and you just you don't get a, an hour off because the minute one person you know, doesn't do right. And we all know that athletes are always fighting uphill on reputation from academics to other things. So we tell them there, there's just, you don't have any room for error. You've got to do it right every day, every minute of, of, of every week. All right. I've got a couple more questions for each of you. We'll kind of go through, but Jim, I'll, I'll start with you since you're already up here. What uh, any of your, you're talking about the three games in the, in the fall, any of those on campus uh, in, in Macon, or are those all going to be road games? Well, I, I mean, my, uh, my goal was to have one home game. Okay. Uh, so uh, I haven't, uh, I, I just, I want to do that for, for our fans. Uh, I want to do it for our alumni, whatever we could have on campus. I haven't gotten to any stadium capacity until I know I've got a home game. I don't know if I can get it done, but I'm going to try. Uh, we, we're, we're in talks today with several schools about, but on our level in the FCS, there's only about 12 of us in the South that are participating in the fall. So the teams that would have to come here, are going to have to travel a while, uh, a good way. So it's, it's an obstacle, but yes, I intend to, will I have fans? I don't know, but uh, our kids deserve that. Uh, you know, if, if they've chosen to play in the fall, uh, you know, but they need a home game to to feel good about the effort they put in. Okay, great, thank you, Jared. Um, what any conversations, Jared, so far um, on with Sunbelt about what bowl games might look like? It, is it we've gotten that far yet? 
Uh, not 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 a, a ton of information which to share. I mean, we've talked about obviously the CFP if it continues forward and what the implications are to the conference from a financial distribution standpoint. But really, honestly, Chris, haven't got that far yet. We're our, our total focus right now is trying to week to week and month to month of trying to get the season off the ground and trying to make sure we have the proper protocols in place. And really, like Jim mentioned, you know, scheduling it, it wasn't very easy when when Boise dropped off. We were kind of late to the dance a little bit in terms of people already had some conversations, maybe a week head start on us. And so, um, yeah, we, we just haven't, I would love to talk about bowls. It means we're progressing, right, as the season goes along, but right. and I pray we have that opportunity. But right now it's been trying to get this thing off the ground, so. Got it. Uh, all right, Mark, you made a comment a minute ago and people are texting me all about it. So I got to ask you this question. You said you've got all conference games, you got one non-conference game. And that, I think you said, is that Central Florida? UPF, correct. So what everybody's asking me then is, is, do we interpret that as being no Georgia versus Georgia Tech game this year? That, that is correct. Due to this, the unprecedented um, time we're in, both uh, the conferences uh, had to make decisions to give them the, the extreme flexibility to schedule games. And I think when those conferences made those decisions, ACC and SEC, it just, it just did, it didn't give us the, the, the pathway for that game to occur this year. And obviously, um, we were sad about that, disappointed about that uh, for our fans, for our student athletes, because we do know that that's a very important game just for not only for our student athletes and our fans, but, you know, for, for the state. I mean, it's a big robbery game, uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech. So um, it will not take place this year, but I know that we, we you know, it will take place in future years, but we all we all understand and respect the decisions that the conferences had to make just to give ourselves the flexibility to get this season in this year. And, uh, you know, we look forward to for the, for that game returning uh, uh, next season in 21. All right. Thank you. All right, Greg, two part questions here for you. So first part, let's say I think about the Florida Marlins for a minute. Right. So baseball was going along the Marlins got the COVID, they had to start canceling some games. What happens if just say, I'll just pick a team out of the air. Let's say Alabama uh, has an outbreak and, and they can't travel or they can't play. What does that do to the schedule? Is that a loss for them and a win for you? Or how does that count? Well, we're, we're working on those uh, things right now. What constitutes uh, uh, the inability to play a game? Is it a percentage of your students that are in quarantine or isolation? Is, is it a cancel game? Uh, we built in two open weeks. Everyone has an open week on December the 12th, the weekend after the regular season ends and the weekend before the SEC championship game. So we're trying to build in some flexibility, uh, but there may be a situation where you're not able to play 10 games. And so we're working through all those details on how champions would be determined in the uh, East and West but also how do you deal with even uh, uh, positives the day before a game? I know we're, go we're going to three tests a week in the SEC once play starts. And so uh, one of those will be a rapid test on Friday or even the morning of the game. So <clears throat> a, lot of, a lot of things to be worked out on what constitutes uh, either a postponed game or a cancel game uh, as we enter this season. And, and again, we've just got to all be flexible and understand that could happen. Right. So my, my last question for you, Greg, I know this is a stretch too, but I'm sure there's been at least a, a start of a discussion. 
if you got some of the big conferences out west are saying we're not playing at all, and you've got ACC and SEC and, and a few others saying we are playing, what does that look like for the championship series then? I mean, is that, you know, do those schools say, wait a minute, you can't do it this year, or do we end up having Georgia Tech versus Georgia for the national championship? Well, I think right now, as long as we have three conferences in play at the Power Five level, I think it does provide a pathway. Uh, if those diminish in any way, perhaps not. But, uh, you know, the, the key thing that, uh, that Jim mentioned, uh, you know, our student athletes, men and women, they want to play. And we have an obligation to try to do everything we can to make that play in a safe environment. Uh, that may be difficult to do. And at the end of the day, if we can't do it, we can't do it. But we certainly want to, uh, to use every tool in the tool chest, uh, whether it's delaying decisions, uh, moving games around, uh, using open weekends to make this happen. Because, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is when you have no light at the end of the tunnel and you're an 18, 20 year old young person and you don't know, and these young men and women have competed their whole life. Uh, they've had goals and aspirations as, as youngsters and to not have that finality or not have a clear vision about what's going to be taking place is devastating to young people. I, I, I think about that all the time and it's not a, a money issue. It's not a financial <clears throat> uh, topic that's at the top of the food chain. Uh, I know our peers on this call, you know, the, the student athletes are, are why we're in business. Uh, none of us would have a job if we didn't have student athletes. So they're at the top of the food chain in every decision we make. Uh, because as we mentioned, testing is going to be easily, I think at the end of the day, uh, seven figures. Uh, and so you've got different things that you have to abide by. So if we were strictly worried about finances only, we would not be going to this great length of providing this environment for, for these young people during their three to four year window. Well, I, I appreciate that insight from all of you guys. I think it's, it's, you have very interesting jobs in the fact that you are all in academics. You're there to teach kids, to help them grow, but you're also running a multi-million dollar uh, business at the end of the day as well. And you've got um, the same kind of stresses that every business in Georgia is facing right now. We're all learning to pivot, all learning to be more resilient. And we just appreciate what you, all of you guys do every day. I think we're, Folks are on this call are supportive of what you do. They're there writing you checks every day, uh, and they'll be in the fans if they can get tickets this year too. So we appreciate what you're doing at the local level. Uh, to all of you all on the call, thank you for joining us today. We'll be getting out more information about our next roundtable real soon. Just continue to go to gachamber.com slash COVID-19 for the latest updates from the governor's office, as well as best practices uh, and future programs. So guys, thanks for taking the time with us today. Uh, we'll see you guys soon.